I'm not going down just because of something some stupid adults are doing. Mobile suits. Monday, Monday. Camille's a man's name, and I'm a man! Uh, no carrots, please. Mobile suit? Roger that. Mobile suit. Mobile suit. Change. Although all enemies were defeated, Earth did not change one bit! The Commander? <laughs> He's lost it! <laughs> every other day, every other day, every other day of the week is fine! Mobile suits. You're a soldier here, aren't you? If you want to be more than just a grunt, you better learn to see the whole picture. Uh, yes, yes, sir. I'm the enemy, you idiot! Miss Matilda! Hey guys, welcome back to another Mobile-rific episode of Fanholes Mobile Suit Mondays. Hey, what's up guys? This is Derek, Derek WC. I'm going to be one of your hosts tonight, and joining me tonight are two, count them, two of my fellow Gundam enthusiasts. Why don't you guys give a shout out and let everybody know who's here tonight? Hey, it's Mike, and I think I'm addicted to you, Gundam. Hey, this is Justin. All right, so so we are here to talk the second episode of the original net animation, Mobile Suit Gundam Thunderbolt. So this is basically the same thing we talked about in a previous episode, and we had discussed the first episode that basically deals with two rival characters from opposite sides of the war. We've got Eo and Daryl, basically. So we've got Eo Fleming and Daryl Lawrence, and Daryl is part of the Zeon, and Eo is part of the Federation, and we are basically picking up, I guess sort of from where we left off, but there's, there's basically this opening sequence, which is what I'm... I, I think I'm going to use this phrase over and over again as we discuss the musical selections in this episode, but... I'm basically just going to call it, there's sort of like this opening montage of battle in the Thunderbolt sector, and it's set to, like, Japan's version of country music, I guess, is what I'm going to call it. <laughs> you know, like, because it's like, I, I feel like like I'm going to say that throughout the course of, of the series, because it, it just seems like it's like a Japanese version of of some kind of popular music. And in this case, it, it definitely felt like it, it had that kind of, I mean, imagine if, like, a Japanese person tried to write some of the music that was in Firefly or Serenity, and that's kind of what I felt like was going on here. Kind of folky, kind of country, but didn't quite capture it in its totality, I guess. But I, I'm kind of curious what you guys thought of that that opening musical piece. I liked it, but have either of you seen the anime movie Whisper of the Heart? No. Negative. Oh, well, it, it, this remind this reminded me of that because in that film there's a female character, but uh, that 
for some reason she's singing country roads you know you know country roads take me home like she's singing it and it's really weird and then she like does her own i guess like her own translation of the lyrics and they're slightly different but throughout the whole film she's like singing them you know reorganizing the words and singing singing the original song it's it's really it's really kind of bizarre to hear you know like a, a song you've been familiar with like your whole life like you're hearing that in japanese in another language and translated like it's it has like a really odd feel to it that's kind of like that's what this opening kind of reminded me of yeah i, I it's weird because i think sometimes i tend to be spoiled by say something like cowboy bebop where you've got somebody who is a japanese composer but everything sounds very fluid and really does capture the ambiance of of what they were going for but this I think has that sort of, you know, generic store bought feel. It's like, oh, look, it's a plastic box of bags in a yellow box. You know, and it's not like the brand name Ziploc that you're expecting or whatever, I guess. If that makes any sense. I mean, it's good enough. It does its job, you know, but but it wasn't quite exactly, I don't know, it just didn't seem on the nose to me. No, no what I wanted to say about the scene in general, like I don't know what it is, but like I feel like just because I guess you know obviously the animation budget is a lot higher, and obviously it's it's 2016 and not like 1979 or whatever. But like the battle seems a lot more like destructive and larger in scale than you might have seen like on the original series. Even though this is like this is taking place like ostensibly like in you know 0079 or whatever. And, like, I feel like, I know, like, ships had beam guns and stuff, but, I like, there was a point where a ball was shooting a beam rifle, and I was like, didn't, I don't know, I, I feel like the Gundam, like, having the beam rifle was a big deal, like, in the yeah. early, yeah. early episodes and stuff, and now, I don't know, like, it, it seemed like, you know, everyone in this opening battle, like, everyone had beams, and, like, it, like they were shooting holes in the colony, and it's like, everything was, like, blowing up, and I was like, okay, this seems a little, like, extreme for, like, you know, this this part of the war but whatever it's interesting because this anime is so fast-paced and it's so breakneck and I, I think they do a really good job of trimming out the fat of the manga but i was specifically looking over the manga too just to sort of compare and contrast and this will probably specifically come up as we get to it later in the episode but just to address what you're saying about time frames and like when exactly this takes place there is a reference to jabbero so i, I i'm kind of thinking like i don't know if it's easier to sort of rationalize it if this is even though it's 0079, maybe it's like 0079 post Jabbero or something like that. And and maybe that makes it a little... I, I understand why it's hard to swallow, but maybe it makes it a little easier to swallow if you think of it that way. I, the other thing I was going to say about the manga is... And, and I guess I'll ask you guys this is... We, we do get a number of flashbacks, like cuts to flashbacks as we're going through this sort of battle montage and everything. And what I noticed is, you know, you see the lead character, EO Fleming, and he's in a flashback. And how did you perceive that scene? I mean, basically, there's a character there. When I first watched it, I pretty much got out of the scene that it was his father, and his father got shot in the head. But I sort of wondered if 
Eo had shot him in the head. Hmm. And when I read the manga, it was crystal clear that his father shot himself in the head. But I think because it was so breakneck and so fast-paced in the anime, I wasn't totally sure until I read the manga. But I'm just curious, like, what were your first impressions of that flashback? I, I just assumed that he had shot himself in the head. Okay, okay. Maybe yeah, just, I did okay. too. Like, just okay. the, the staging of it just seemed like... I, and I think I could have sworn, like, maybe maybe I'm imagining it, but I could have sworn, like, I saw a gun in his hand, so I, I just assumed... Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, I think I just missed that the first time around. Like, I think every everything sort of flashed in front of me so quickly that I didn't really have time to register what I saw. And then when I read the manga and went back and looked at the scene again to sort of confirm, I went, oh, yeah, I guess that, that makes sense, I guess. But for me, it was just... You know, maybe I just wasn't paying close enough attention because those those flashbacks, you know, and, and of course the battle that was going on, everything's like so quick paced and everything like this feels like it's the first, you know, we're, we're still talking about like the first 60 seconds of the of the piece almost. And and at this point, you know, this is kind of a shocking bit of imagery. And so EO wakes up and he is sort of it's almost like he's had a bad dream and he basically is listening to a certain song, you know, that reminds him of his father. And and basically, because of that, he asks Cornelius to turn off the song because he, he hates that song because he doesn't want to be reminded of his father. And then there's a, a cut to basically the, the Zeon side of the war. And this was something that I did mention last episode briefly. And it doesn't look like we get a Giran Zabi cameo, like, in the manga, but there is sort of this, you know, ceremony for the the Living Dead Division, I guess, if you will, or at least the scientists that are there, you know, and you've got, you know, Carla Mitchum, who's there and getting a medal or whatever for, for her efforts to the to the war and everything like that. But in this case, it's just some sort of random... Zeon official probably, you know, granting her that that honor as opposed to it actually being Kieran Zabi. And then there's there's like this sort of inference that, you know, obviously like even though Daryl's part of the Living Dead division, he has these sort of prostheses for his legs, you know, and, and he's actually standing up and saluting and everything. But then you see sort of like the aftermath of that ceremony where Carla's there with him and she's removing those and you know that it's like does it hurt and it's like yeah but he says it's no big deal like and they they, they kind of go into the testing of the mobile suits with these members of the living dead division and they refer to it as the psycho reuse device which basically entails that there is this kind of high-tech zaku that Mr. Sexton and Carla are working on and you would sort of it's almost like they use the aspect of the living dead division that they have these sort of phantom limbs and they sort of attempt to tie them together with the actual mobile suit so even though you know Daryl's a character who has lost his legs it's almost like he can plug in his I guess the 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 remaining senses to to the the mobile suit and it's almost like he's 
he's sort of recapturing like what it felt like to walk because it's like he's he's literally walking with the mobile suit almost so it's almost like you know something that was a phantom limb is is sort of recaptured in a mechanical form but just on a really large scale and that's kind of what they're testing and then of course like i told you guys i would i would kind of bring this up again and again but during this sequence you do see these kind of flashes of daryl's childhood and the music seemed to me to be like japan's version of like crappy r&b music or something like like i don't know that's that's kind of what my take on it was but what what did you guys think of like the the flashbacks that were going on with daryl and everything i really liked them it kind of like i was going to say this for the the episode overall like you really feel for daryl like they do a really great job of like you know painting him as a sympathetic character instead of like you know, like a bloodthirsty Zeon or something. Like, I, I really liked all of his flashbacks, especially when he's, when he's just, you know, he's testing that mobile suit, and all he's thinking about is like different times in his life when he was running, like he's running along a beach, or or just walking along the beach or whatever. Like, I I really like those scenes. Yeah, I thought I thought it was good, and you you could see that you know he had a family that loved him and cared about him. He seemed to come from, you know, ostensibly a nuclear family. It looks like he had a sister and a mother and a father, and you you even you know basically in. It, but it's weird how it it basically jumps around to give you just what you know the essentials of what you need to know about Daryl. That you know obviously he loved running he was an athletic person you know like but i mean you know i guess that doesn't even matter if you're athletic or not your legs are your legs but then they sort of flash forward to another flashback where it's almost like it's weird i kind of wondered what battle this represented to be honest in terms of of the one-year war but it's like a flash forward of him you know storming the beach at like normandy essentially you know it's like a bunch of zeon soldiers and they're basically running up, uh, you know, as part of a ground force unit. And then basically, you know, you see a big explosion and we find out that that's where he lost his legs. And, you know, by that point, he's kind of like Lieutenant Dan, but Forrest Gump can't, you know, run him the fuck out of there or whatever. And, you know, he, he's all kind of messed up. And the next time you see him, you know, kind of in these flash forwards of flashbacks, you know, you, you see him wake up and, and he's all bandaged up and is, you know, it, it was done pretty well because you, you have this isolation of the only thing that's in color are these bloody stumps at the end of his legs, essentially, whereas everything else is in black and white. It's all background noise, whether it's his family or the the military officials that are there to, you know, I don't know, recruit him to the Living Dead Division or something like that. Like, all that stuff is just background noise because he's he's having such trouble dealing with what happened to him, basically. Yeah, I, I was going to say it. It, it seems like a common, like, aside from, like, the original Gundam, it seems like a common theme that it's like, you know, does it make the Xeon sympathetic and the Federation a bunch of assholes? So, like, yeah, that, 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 that this pretty much follows that trend. Yeah, speaking of that, we do, we do cut to EO Fleming, and he's kind of, as you hinted in your, your introduction, Mike, he is, he is hopped up all on the, the sort of power and the, the thrill of of using his Gundam and everything. Now this is this is kind of tying into what I was trying to 
rationalized before in terms of continuity. It doesn't say this in the anime, but in the in the manga, there's a statement that's made that says the Gundam was awarded to the Moore Brotherhood from the Earth Federation forces, and it came from Jaburo. So I, I mean, I'm 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 thinking if that's the case, then you could at least say, okay, well this. This doesn't. It's not like this takes place during episodes three and four of Gundam. It's it, the original series. It probably takes place somewhere in the teens, like around what, like fourteen or seventeen, or you know, whenever they ended up, you know, leaving Jaburo or something like that. So that's what I was thinking as far as trying to rationalize it and everything. And and the other thing that was interesting about the manga is that it, it's weird. Like it, it's interesting that you mention that they they basically try to give you all of the backstory of Daryl and make him a super sympathetic character, whereas EO to this point has mostly just been zooming around, you know, getting revenge for the sniping that took place in the first episode. And he's he's very systematic about it, you know? Like, it's not like he gives two shits about, you know say, Daryl's poor backstory, or anybody else he goes after, as far as he's concerned. They're the enemy, they tried to snipe him, and he's going after them. And, the, you know, the, the more of those guys he takes out, then, you know, the sooner they'll have their sector back, is basically the idea. I was, I was going to say, despite that Daryl got that really, like, long and, like, you know, loving, like, flashback and stuff, like, I, I still kind of, like, empathize with EO a little more, just because I'm just kind of like, yeah, like, you fucking snipers, like, like I'm, like, playing my <laughs> video game logic. I'm like, come on and fight me, like, face to face, like, come on. Well, the, the thing I was going to say was in the manga there is a little more detailed backstory and you, you sort of see how, I mean, they've, they've already sort of hinted at how, you know, EO is part of the sort of elite of the Moore brotherhood and everything like that. And that's why they gave him this Gundam and stuff like that in the war. But there, there's more backstory you see besides just the knowledge that he had to deal with a, a father that committed suicide. And you see that Cornelius and Claudia, the captain of the ship, that he's having this sort of illicit affair with, but she also sort of hates his guts. Like they were all friends as kids. And, you know, somehow I guess they all joined the Federation army together. And I, you know, I don't know how they all ended up serving in the same unit. That would seem kind of odd, but they, they do have that sort of call back to that in the manga where they, they had, you know, previous relationships. So you, it's not just that he's, you know, Cornelius is just some dude who's handing him, you know, handkerchiefs all the time because he's like, you know, fixing his suit. It's like he's actually like one of his good friends from childhood, essentially. And he sort of has his own relationship with Claudia, which, you know, since the anime is so fast paced and breakneck speed, you, you don't really get the time to deal with that. But I, I thought that was kind of interesting that you mentioned that they sort of focus more on Daryl's backstory and creating a lot of sympathy for him, but in in the anime they don't seem to do that at least to this point as much with EO. And so, you know, we we are dealing with Daryl and he is basically setting up like an older model Zaku because he figures he doesn't need a bunch of high mobility being a sniper and so this is, you know, they're basically preparing to go into battle and everything. And, like, I guess, like, again, like, everything seems to be very 
situated around the the musical pieces that they they put into play here and like what i sort of noticed here was it's weird because daryl's musical pieces always seem to be changing like like that he has like either a eclectic taste or various taste like you know i guess i guess one thing that makes eo more sympathetic to me is at least he's consistent you know, like, he always has the jazz going on in the background, and I'm kind of like, okay, I know it's him, I know it's the jazz. It almost becomes familiar, even though maybe to, I guess, the Zeon guys, it'd be scary, because it's, you know, heralding maybe their ultimate demise. But with with Daryl, it's kind of like, in this particular case, it seems like now, all of a sudden, it's like doo-wop. So it's like, it was country music, it was like, girly pop music in the last episode and then you know you've got like some weird kind of r&b type music and now it's like going to like almost like 50s doo-wop versus eo's jazz you know so it's like those are that it it's probably interesting in terms of rivalries in in the gundam universe because obviously you'd think if say, like, Char and Amuro were such bitter rivals, you know, obviously maybe they'd have different tastes in music, and those would also clash as well, I guess. I mean, I, I, I guess it's a good... It, it, it's a good, subtle way to show the clashes between the rival characters in that their musical tastes do not seem to sync up at all, I guess. <laughs> now, like, now you're making me want a scene where, like, Char shows up and he, like... He gives Daryl uh, an iPod, and he's like, "Hey, kid, here's my playlist. See if you like it." <laughs> like, like, just so we can see, like, what Char's taste in music is. <laughs> right, right, right. Now I just have like a, I have an image of like Char and Amaro like walking towards each other, like snapping their fingers. <laughs> <laughs> it's like when you're a Zeke, you're a Zeke all the way. Yeah. Anyway. <laughs> Yeah, so, but, but, I mean, at this point, I mean, we, like I said, th this whole episode is very fast-paced and kinetic, and we, we're, we're right into the nitty-gritty of basically EO, you know, versus Daryl at this point, because you've got the, the Xeon sniper guys that are all set up to go, and, and EO basically is, is essentially decimating most of Daryl's comrades. I mean, th this is the one part where I'd sort of, continue to level the same criticism that we mentioned in the first episode is that even if this is post Jabiro, it's like if Amaro's Gundam and the beam cannon and all these other things were super special, it's like, why does this other dude have them at the same time frame? And, and not only does he have them, but I mean, it really, really does seem like, you know, a Gundam seed super mega suit yeah, where it's he's like, zipping you know, around. Yeah. He's zipping yeah. around like lightning speed. He, he shoots off, you know, I, I mean, I know the beam cannon was always supposed to take out mobile suits with one hit, but usually when Amuro did it, it would penetrate the hull of the armor, blow up the engine and the suit would explode. But like these kind of cannons that, that EO seems to have equipped, it's almost like he, basically burns him away you know without any trace or anything like that and it just seems like very they, they have splash damage like, yeah exactly like he doesn't even have to hit them directly it, like it, if he just hits near them it seems like the explosion takes care of them too because it felt like i mean you know to, to coin the phrase of of what gundam was originally intended for i i feel like eo's gundam continues to be more of a super robot than a real robot, if that makes any sense. 
Yeah, I, I know what you mean. I, I, I just, I think it, it would fit better if this story took place maybe in like double O eighty three or you know, yeah, more towards yeah. Zeta or something. Yeah, yeah, closer towards that that time frame. I, I, I agree because that I mean, if you're gonna have a super suit like that, you know, something that, you know, I mean, yeah, yeah, I, I totally concur with that. And so basically, at this point, you know. Daryl is the the bestest sniper that the Living Dead Division has, and even though he's super, super far away from EO while he's taking out all his comrades, he does get the drop on him, he does take the shot, and it really looks like EO's about to be dead in his tracks, and all of a sudden, space lightning! Space lightning blocks the (laughs) sniper beam blast. And it, it's one of these odd sequences where it's like, son of a bitch, or like, you're, you know, like, this guy's got more luck than a, uh, I was thinking of like, uh, uh, Sabretooth from the X-Men cartoon, you know, it's like, Wolverine, you've got a coward's luck, you know, because <laughs> yeah. he, he fucking gets the, the lightning bolt uh, that fucking I, blocks him. I usually, like, I usually hate, like, like conveniences or twists of fate like this, but I guess it's a little better since they already established that, you know, this is the Thunderbolt sector. So, I mean, it's not like the lightning came out of nowhere. No, no, it's not. I just, I, I, I still crack up about it though. Cause that's why I'm like space lightning, but yeah, like, no, I get it. I, I, I mean, in the context of the episode, it's actually very entertaining. Like, it's just, it's, it's difficult to convey and talk about because, like, like we're saying, this is all sort of a, a very breakneck action-paced sequence, and it's like you, you definitely get into it. I mean, I was entertained. I, I certainly enjoyed it. I can, I could follow the action and everything, and, and much like my common criticisms of manga, it's like the manga, usually it's hard to follow the action for me, but in this, I mean, everything was super clear, and you knew exactly what was going on and everything. And, you know, at this point, it's kind of like Daryl is kind of fucked. I mean, he... He, you know, even his comrades are saying, look, once a sniper is exposed, then he's pretty much worthless once his his position is exposed and and given up. And at this point, you know, EO's basically on the warpath, like he's going to come right for him and and try to get him and everything. And, And this seems to be the point where choosing to have that Zaku that was the older model that wasn't as maneuverable is going to bite him in the ass because... If it was more maneuverable, he might have had a shot at getting out of there intact. But since, you know, EO's got this super-duper seed suit or whatever, I mean, he basically, like, even though Daryl's, like, trying to fight on, he, he basically blasts a bunch of debris and he's trying to create sort of this smoke screen so that he can maybe, you know, get away or, or take other sniper shots, but... The suit is so damn fast. I mean, he's just right up in his face before he knows it and everything. And then, you know, basically the the other thing, too, is he, he grabs one of Daryl's buddies, this guy named Sean, and he's using him as a human shield at this point. And he says, look, you want to snipe me? Well, you might end up sniping your buddy and everything. And, you know, that short amount of hesitation gives him enough time to basically, you know, catch up to Daryl. And then he pretty much tosses Sean in his, his mobile suit and then shoots Sean 
and explodes the suit, and that basically blinds Daryl. You know, the explosion is his cover, and and you know that that's the point where you know Eo is like straight up in his face and everything, and comes crashing down on him and everything, and and then he he's like, this is it, man, and he's about to beam saber him, and he he pretty much does, but then that the this is what this sequence sort of reminded me of is you know at this point Daryl sort of pulls a Spike Spiegel, you know, he sort of pulls a you know. <laughs> you know and 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 i was just like oh okay because he he sort of like pulls out some kind of grenade thing or whatever it is and there's this flash of light and like basically eo's got to get away and you know that that at, at that point you know captain claudia is there and she's still driving away the the zeon musai cruisers and everything and she's kind of you know destroying different people as as they 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 go away but Daryl's Zaku ends up getting recovered by the main ship and everything. And so, you know, at that point, you know, they're... I, I don't know, it's weird. Like, in the manga, it was it was interesting because, like, it seemed like in the anime, they were still fighting amongst the debris of a wrecked colony. But there was this weird thing in the manga where it was almost like they were fighting in a skyscraper... That was like floating in space because it was discarded from or dislodged from a colony. So it was almost like I, I don't know how to explain it other than you, you know how they describe like the difference between like urban combat versus you know like say environmental combat where you're like in the desert or in the mountains or something like that. And it's almost like they were in space. There was some environmental combat like that that was sort of natural, but then all of a sudden, because there was this floating skyscraper structure in space, it almost became urban combat again. I don't know, what did you guys, I mean, what did you guys think of that fight sequence up to that point? He used the like Daryl used like a sort of like flare grenade or what are they like they call the Zaku grenades like cracker grenades or whatever. But I was kind of like like it's kind of seemed like it was gonna explode, but then it just like kind of like fizzled out or it was just a flare and like you know Eo retreated. But I was kind of like I don't know like it, you must have known it was a flare, but maybe he was just scared he was gonna get shot in the back or something like. Like, he had him right, like, dead to rights. He could have just fired anyway and, you know, probably gotten away. But I was, I, I, like, the end of that battle kind of confused me a little. Yeah, it's not, I mean, like, I was trying to go to the manga to see if it would make it any clearer for me. But I think, I think the anime continues to be more clear than, than the manga when it comes to the fights and everything. So that, I, I can't offer any further clarification other than, you know, either what you're speculating. He thought he was going to get blown up and he kind of retreated from that plane. But if he was going to get blown up, then, you know, you'd think Daryl would also get blown up. So it's kind of, it's kind of unclear other than there's this big blinding light and then in the, the, you know, the random confusion, you know, both of them sort of get away from one another to, to again, fight another day. And then this is the point where... I, I thought it got really kind of heavy and serious and everything because, you know, like we were saying, Daryl Zaku's recovered 
and you are treated again to another flashback and it's it's kind of a a sweet emotional flashback where you can see a older person who we you know, I don't know I assumed it was Daryl's dad and he he buys him that Xeon radio that he listens to all this horrible you know Japanese pop music on or whatever you know that's that's labeled Xeon and he buys him that radio for Christmas and then you know when he comes out of that dream state flashback or whatever, it's like, you know, basically in the aftermath of their, their second fight together, you know, Daryl's looking and realizes he's now not only lost both of his legs, but he's lost his left arm. And, you know, I mean, once he comes to that realization, he's got nothing else to do but just scream that, like, I can't believe this happened to me again. You know, like, I mean, it's like, think of the most horrible thing in the world that could happen to you, and then it happens again. Like, it's like, Jesus Christ. Like, the, you know, that, that I started thinking about what Justin was saying before about how, you know, when something like this happens, usually in, in the real military at that point, you know, somebody gets discharged and they get sent home. You know what I mean? Like, and, and, and this is just like, Jesus Christ, and they're still going to make them fight. And it happened, like, again. And you're just like, fuck me man like jesus christ like i was yeah i i felt really bad for him at that point you know i just like how the the radio looks all i don't know it's like it's it's obviously you know a sort of future time but the radio looks like all it's all like it's 1943 in space like it's got that sort of retro vibe to it yeah like i thought that was a really sweet memory but in my head i was like wait a minute like Xeon like produces their own, you know, like equipment and goods and stuff. Like before there was a war, I was like in my head, I was like, how long has the Xeon name like been established? Like, like that's what that radio was making me thinking in the back of my head. Like after I was like, oh, that's sweet, and I was like, wait a minute, like, does that make sense? <laughs> no, I get it. I mean, because you're like, but that I guess that that's what's if you're. Yeah, I mean, I I guess it's got to be as old a, as at least as as Char's dad, right? Like, I don't know. Yeah, because that's they took the the name from him after he died, so that's yeah. Gotta, yeah, and okay, and that's that flashback itself is gonna be at least like what ten years ago because Daryl's yeah. a kid. Yeah, yeah. So then you know, ten years ago plus yeah, whatever else, however long you know, Zeon Zoom Daikum died, you know. So I don't know. It must have been one of those things where they're like, after he died, like all the companies were like, you know, let's cash in. Like, yeah, it's going to be on all the lunch pails, Larry. Like, Zeon Zoom Daikum. Like, radio. Yes. Thermoses. Yeah. Zeon the flamethrower. The kids, they love it. Yeah. Yeah, the kids exactly. they love they love they love revolutions yeah <laughs> they love they love space noid independence yeah and and what the kids what the kids really love which which makes this even more super tragic is basically at this point the 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 scientists on board the the uh, i guess basically the the guys that are experimenting on all these living dead division guys you know sexton in particular is really losing his shit because the the captain's basically saying like look you guys are gonna have to suffer our fate like we're barely hanging on since that last assault if they catch up to us we're all gonna be dead and 
this makes him really desperate and he's like look if you approve this basically is is the idea i got it's like we'll be able to live through this and so what they basically do is he forces carla to take off daryl's right arm as well so now he's basically like you know a uh, uh, you know amputee all over his body just so they can stick him in this experimental Xeon mobile suit. And, you know, the idea is he's going to go out and, you know, f fight off the, the Thunderbolt or whatever. But I, I, all I could think about that sequence is, I mean, it is just one of these things where, you know, she's off crying in the corner that she did it. And he's basically now going to go exact his revenge, I guess, or whatever. But, you know, it's definitely this series is definitely made for those people that hated build fighters. You know, like it's like the anti build fighters where it's like, oh, if you were sick of build fighters and you couldn't stand it, like here's something with no kids and it deals with like real legitimate horrors of war, you know, where this guy's like not only it's not not only is he an amputee because he was a soldier in combat, but he gets his left arm taken as well and then the ultimate conclusion to it is they take his right arm because and it's his own people that do it to him so there's like corruption and 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 all that kind of stuff thrown in there so i mean it, it definitely is you know more of what i think you know people who who are interested in say the real robot genre you know the, this this episode certainly exemplifies some of those traits you know, with, with these turns of events. They might as well have gone the whole distance and put him in, like, some little exosuit that transforms into the head of the Zaku or something. That, that's baby talk, man. <laughs> yeah, I guess so. I'm like, that's who the, the new uh, Titan Wars Fortress Maximus comes with, right? Daryl? Yes, Daryl. <laughs> like a little, like, limbless Daryl. Yes. Daryl, yes. One of the things about this sequence that I thought was really interesting was... Throughout most of this episode, like, Carla is kind of, like, she, she came across to me as very cold and distant, and in my head I was like, well, I guess she's still dealing with the loss of, you know, her, like, her boyfriend. Like, when she's talking to Daryl, she seems, you know, when she's talking about that, his legs and the attachment, it just seemed like she was very distant. She was just, she was asking him basically because she had to, like, it was her job. But now you see that, like, you know, like, she, she is you know, emotional about what is happening to him and about, especially about what she's done and what she's forced to do. And I, I thought that was very interesting. Like, it's very interesting to me because you get inside the character's head, like even without them like outright stating what they're doing, you know, there's no like Padme, like Anakin, you're breaking my heart. Like, you, you right, can tell right. it's visually conveyed. Like she's in the corner crying, like her tears are still floating in zero G. Like you're just like, man, she, she's not, completely closed off and cold like she she does care about him and it's obviously it's tearing her up like what she's forced to do to him and you know and, and sexton is so corrupt that he is basically saying look i will brand you as a traitor your father will be shot and executed if you don't do this like it's not like 
it's not like she's just kind of okay i'll cut his arm off you know i mean she's she's basically put in between a rock and a hard place and and there's nothing else that you know she can do but but carry out his his will essentially and you know of course like you're saying it's not like she has to visual or it's not like she has to uh verbalize that you know oh my god this is tearing me apart it's like you can you can see you know <laughs> that that this is having uh, you know an effect on her you know and, and and is is you know kind of having having a brutal effect on her you know not just as much as it is on Daryl but but it's having its own effect because she obviously is going to be burdened with the guilt of these actions like for the rest of her life so do you, do you guys feel like in, in a sort of similar vein to what we talked about with like the Gundam be, seeming a little like overpowered for this era do you do you guys feel like the psycho Zaku is kind of I don't know like stealing some of Char's thunder being that it's red and what yeah whatnot? when they were putting it together and it was red I was like wait a minute like that's Char's thing like like in my head, I like I I imagine Char composing a fleet-wide memo where he's like, "Only my Zaku can be red. No other red Zakus." <laughs> like I, I was surprised they. I guess I was surprised they let him do that, but I don't know. Like it it, it did stand out in my head. You, you know what I thought of more than Char was the whole aspect of the the psycho reuse device, and and all I could think about is like the psycho frame stuff. Like, I mean, in some ways, it's like, yeah, you know, later in, uh, you know, in Zeta and Double Zeta, they abuse these new type people for their new type abilities. And and in some ways, I mean, this is like a visualization of what it must be like for people who have that sensitivity to space and time and all those things that new types are famous for. But in this case, you're like sitting there going, oh, well, we'll just mutilate them so that they fit into this war suit, basically. And it's kind of like that's what happens to Daryl. But I think, you know, to me, I was thinking of people like four, you know, like that, you know, it, you, you don't see her. It's not like she was an amputee, but what they did to her mind, you know, essentially was was just as bad, you know, just to get her to use the Psycho Gundam. So I, I did think of, of characters like that, too. And I, I, I don't know if I necessarily thought they stole her thunder, but it's one of those things where you start to think, oh, well, here is the maybe the building blocks, like the apex of of what, what Zeon you know, wartime, you know, experimentation is going to lead to. Yeah, that's pretty cool. Like, I, 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 I thought about that, too. But, like, from a pure, like, dramatic standpoint, I was kind of like, I don't know. Because you've also got, like, you know, that guy, uh, Johnny Reden or whatever. And he had a red Zaku, too. So I was kind of like, wait, how many red Zakus are there, like, out there, like, in the side stories or mm. whatever? Yeah, it seems like yeah. I, well, I guess I guess it's to some degree like if if Char Asnobol is the Darth Vader of Mobile Suit Gundam, it's like the 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 more expanded universe you have, the more of these Sith lords that come around with you know double bladed red lightsabers and yada yada yada, and so you're like, oh well, you know Johnny Ryden is like the the Darth Ravan of the the series, and maybe you know Daryl is like you know, Darth Maul after he gets his, like, legs chopped off, but then he's walking around in those chicken legs and shit and in the uh, Rebels and, and Clone Wars and stuff. Like, that's that's kind of, I guess, how I'd take it. You know, he, he, he certainly is reminiscent of the original creation, but, but he's also 
you know, sort of a, you know, offshoot as well. And Emperor Garen did make him cry like a bitch. <laughs> mercy, mercy. I, I mean, for for me, like I'm, I'm kind of finished with with everything I had to mention about Gundam Thunderbolt. I mean, all all I can really say in conclusion is that I, I think the anime, like I've been saying through the whole thing, is is really fast paced. It's very enjoyable. I think it does a great job of trimming any of the fat from from the pre-existing manga and and making most of the fights pretty understandable and and easy to follow and everything like that and i'm 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 interested and invested in in both the main characters and and you know just because i got a kick out of build fighters doesn't mean i can't appreciate a series like this as well, which is, you know, set in the Universal Century, so it, it definitely appeals to classic Gundam fans, and it's got a lot of real-world ramifications as far as, you know, what's going on with with Daryl and everything like that. I'm, I'm kind of hoping that maybe in the, the, the next two episodes we get to see a little more of, of EO's backstory, and, you know, hopefully there's some stuff that you know this this to me seemed like a daryl heavy episode and maybe next episode it can be uh you know return the balance and maybe be an eo heavy episode in the next episode is i guess kind of what i'm hoping for yeah i agree because you know i'm still wondering i was still kind of wondering like why does claudia like hate him so much and like what what is yeah eo's deal basically so i was kind of like okay well maybe that'll be next episode yeah like he when when he was fighting i was like man he's vicious and like even when he was you know he had that guy as a human shield basically i was like man screw this guy like get him daryl so like <laughs> I, I would like to see more of his backstory like hopefully hopefully he's not a total jerk face like hopefully hopefully he had some happy like you know running on the beach moments too and when the evening comes we smile In 1994, Mark Wade, Brian Augustine, and Barry Kitson began exploring the beginnings of the world's greatest superhero team over an epic 12-issue comic maxi-series. That team was the Justice League of America, and that comic was JLA Year One. In 2016, eight podcasts will come together to cover this series in a single month. That month is JL May. Featuring the Fire and Water Podcast, The Power of Fishnets, Waiting for Doom, The Lantern Cast, Supermates Podcast, The Idle Head of Diabolu, Comic Reflections, and Views from the Long Box. Each podcast will cover one or two issues of JLA Year One, and then coverage will move from show to show. It all starts in the Fire and Water Podcast with issues one and two. JL May, an epic month for an epic series. Available where you find all good podcasts. Cool. All right. Well, we hope you guys have enjoyed listening to our thoughts and musings on the second episode of Gundam Thunderbolt. We will continue to bring you coverage of various series here on Fanhole's Mobile Suit Mondays. Also, we have a great plethora of 
spin-off shows besides Mobile Suit Mondays. We've got Sentai Saturdays, Transformers Tuesdays, Toku Thursdays, and of course the Fan Halls Proper Podcast. If you've got any questions, comments, concerns, you can reach us at fanholespodcast at gmail.com. We're of course on the fanholespodcast.blogspot.com. And you can, of course, reach us on a wide variety of social media, Facebook, Twitter, Tumblr, etc. So we hope you've enjoyed listening. And until the next time, this is going to be Derek, Derek WC, signing off. It's Mike, and I have a demon's luck. Hey, this is Justin, and I want some Xeon Pop-Tarts now and a Xeon cup of coffee. Larry, we got this new character for you. He's the Zeon so, Emperor. He's so, even bigger than Garen. <laughs> so if they made if they made Zeon Pop Tarts, would it be like a Zaku head, but then they cut a little hole so you could see the jelly for the eye? <laughs> is that is that how that would work? I would yeah. I would I would totally eat those. I, I feel like we could go to Japan right now and find that. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm pretty sure that's that, I'm pretty sure that's a thing. Yeah. <laughs> You're like, you did not think of that. That already exists. <laughs> and of course, like, Char has, like, the strawberry jam, like, Pop-Tarts or whatever. Yeah, have you seen those things lately, like, where it's, like, they're, like, Superman burgers and Batman burgers, and it's, like, you wouldn't eat them with a 10-foot pole, because, like, the, the burger bun is, like, black for Batman, and, like, the burger <laughs> bun for, like, Superman is red? I'm just thinking, since you said, like, Char, you know, I'm like, here's a Char burger, and I'm like, I am not putting that in my fucking mouth, uh, you know? Uh, all I know is I bought a box of that Superman cereal in, like, I'm really struggling to eat it. Like it has a really weird aftertaste. So I'm I like. So basically, like I thought the box was neat, and I was like, I like cereal. Like I'll eat this. But now I'm like, this is kind of bad. Like it's ten percent. Superman would not approve of this. Like. <laughs> ten percent cereal, ninety percent chemicals. Like, wow. Like super, Superman would have to use his like microscopic vision on it, and he's like, oh yeah, you don't want to eat that. Like. <laughs> Do not eat that. Just kryptonite in my cereal.